the objects to observe in the January 2023 night sky in episode 287 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for anybody else who wants to know what they can see in the sky this month. So Shane, in this episode, we'll talk about the moon pairing up with Venus and Saturn in the evening sky, and then it's going to pair up with Jupiter Later in the month, it gets so close to Mars and Uranus, it actually is going to occult or pass over them for some lucky observers, but not for you and I, I'm afraid. Oh, darn. Oh, well, we we had a nice occultation uh, during the Mars opposition, so we can't complain too much. Except that it was minus 52. All right. (laughs) See two episodes ago for that one. Hey, we should also mention that uh, for listeners on the 365 Days of Astronomy, you can catch all eight actual astronomy podcast episodes by subscribing to us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any pod catching app. So Shane, how can somebody get going in visual astronomy? What, uh, What do they need? Do they need to buy a big fancy telescope or can somebody just get going with some other gear? Well, all you really need is your eyes, but if you have a pair of binoculars, those work great as well. In fact, we often recommend that you start off with binoculars. Um, something in that 8 by 42 range or uh, or smaller is typically preferred because those are just easy to handhold. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, either your eyes or binoculars. Uh, you need to know where to look and what to look for. So having uh, like some kind of star chart, planisphere, or a book that we often recommend is Night Watch by Terence Dickinson. Um, all of that will help you get oriented with the sky and help you find things. Um, and then the other uh, thing that we like to mention at the start of uh, the Objects to Observe episode is just how to measure distance in the sky. Um, the stuff that we'll talk about, we often refer to object uh, being certain amount of degrees apart from each other. Mm-hmm. And one way to understand what that looks like in the sky is um, if you hold out your fist at arm's length, the width of your fist is 10 degrees. And that is a universal thing uh, because we're all sort of built to the same proportions. And, um, you know, 10 degrees is a fist width. One finger width is one degree. Um, and you can kind of go for go forward with that information and that'll help you navigate the sky. Sounds good. Yeah, I like the recommendation of uh, night watch, using your fist in the air, uh, on the night sky, and then uh, yeah, maybe getting a little red LED or making a little red oh, yeah, uh, yeah, flashlight. Cool. Yeah, so that uh, people can read those. Um, yeah, you can just take a cheap flashlight. That's what we recommend. Just paint the lens red or cover it in red tape or red cellophane or anything red that you have around that's semi-transparent so that you can actually look at the chart um, and then go and look at the nighttime sky right after. Like you're going to hold the chart out in the nighttime air and you're going to look at the chart, look at the stars, then look up at the nighttime sky. And then by doing that, uh, using a red light, you're going to preserve that night vision so that uh, you're able to see the stars. Because if you use like a really bright white light, like a cell phone light, it's going to be too bright. And what's going to happen is the white light's going to bounce off the white page and it's basically gonna cause you not to be able to see any stars when you move your eyes away from the page. So having a little red uh, light is gonna 
help you out. So Shane, we have a couple or yeah, we have a couple occultations later this month. So what is an occultation? Does it involve sitting around a circle and chanting or, or what is an occultation exactly? <laughs> well, not, not for our purposes. Um, essentially, uh, the simplest definition is when one object, you know, essentially moves in front of another and obscures our view from Earth. Now, this happens all of the time. For example, the moon is always occulting various stars out there, but there's always, or there's uh, at times interesting ones where uh, the moon will occult planets or, you know, things of that nature. So uh, we'll get into more details uh, as we move along here. Yeah, so basically the moon is just going to go cover up a, a couple planets this month and hopefully some people out there will be able to see that. Yeah, super. it's super neat to watch that happen. All right, so what can we see this month? We've got a January 1st occultation of Uranus by the moon for Eastern North America. I run this in my software and even though I think uh, in some sites I read it's visible in all of North America, I, I mean, I guess theoretically it would be, but I think it's in the uh, in the daytime sky for us. It, it showed up at uh, around, you know, just after or just before 5.30 in the, in the afternoon. So uh, for us, it's daytime, but just after dark in the UK, Europe, or... Uh, or over in Eastern North America, uh, I guess in UK and Europe, it's gonna be early in the morning. And then in Eastern North America, it's gonna be uh, just after sunset, you'll be able to see the moon uh, pass in front, our moon pass in front of Uranus. So that would be pretty cool. I don't, I think I've seen the moon pass in front of Neptune, but not Uranus. So that's on my list of to see events. Cause if I get that, then I've collected all the uh, solar system occultation stamps. Whew, well, that's quite an accomplishment. Hopefully conditions work out for us. Yes, I would. Yeah, I, boy, I wish I'd be out east to be able to see that one. That would be awesome. And let's see, on January 3rd, believe it or not, there's another occultation where the moon passes in front of Mars. So that might be confusing because didn't this just happen, Shane? It did. Yes, December 7th, uh, Mars opposition was uh, one we both observed. Hmm. But now again, uh, favored regions are going to be West coast of North America just before dawn, uh, on January 3rd. And maybe those in Japan or maybe Alaska, uh, will have the best spot, uh, or best shot at seeing it. And as well, you know, if you're far North, if you're North enough these days, although, um, it's hard to imagine it could be any cold. I don't think it's any colder than where we are, but once you get so far North, maybe North of like Edmonton, um, then you're able to have, uh, more darkness and so you might actually stand a chance of actually seeing some of these sort of uh events uh, better than than we do in the southern latitudes mm -hmm. all right january 6th we have a full moon and there's a double shadow transit on jupiter that night do you think we'll see that one shane no uh full moon i don't think so no <laughs> It's not visible to us. So many of these events we're not going to see, but people that are on the uh, West Coast will stand a decent chance of actually being able to see uh, two shadow transits on Jupiter that evening. So, um, and I guess it's going to be sort of like earlier in, in the morning when, when Jupiter is setting. But uh, what is a double shadow transit uh, on Jupiter, Shane? So there's the four Galilean moons um, that are visible even in uh, a number of binoculars. 
Um, so Callisto, Io, Ganymede, and Europa. Um, and at different times, they will cast a shadow onto the surface of Jupiter that we're able to observe from Earth. Now, binoculars won't allow you, like most binoculars won't allow you to see the shadow, but if you have uh, a telescope and you don't need a large one for this, you'll be able to see these little black inky dots kind of very slowly moving across the face of Jupiter. Mm -hmm. And when there's a double transit, it means two of these Galilean moons are each casting their own shadow on the surface of Jupiter or the, the cloud deck of Jupiter. And uh, it's a very neat uh, observation to, to catch those. And sometimes you can even get uh, triple uh, shadow transits, but those are even more rare. Cool. On January 8th, Pallas is going to be at opposition. So Pallas is uh, it's one of the largest asteroids in the asteroid belt. So it was discovered by the German astronomer Heinrich Wilhelm Matthäus on the 28th of March in 1802. So Pallas was considered to be a planet at that time, but it actually turned out to be the second largest asteroid to have been discovered uh, after Ceres. Pallas is the third largest asteroid and has a mineral composition similar to carbonation, carbonaceous chondrite meteorites like Ceres. Shane, you are a meteorite collector. Do you have any of these carbonaceous chondrite meteors? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I believe I do. For sure, ones with chondrite in them. Um, I'd have to see if they're carbaceous or not, but I, I think I do. Now with chondrite. Okay. Yes, yes. Like Vesta and Ceres, Pallas uh, appears to be uh, one of only three intact bodies from the early stages of the planetary formation inside our own solar system. So that would be, uh, be a great event to be able to go out and see. Have you seen many... Um, Many of these minor planets or asteroid chain? Not, I wouldn't say a lot. I've observed four or five different ones uh, over the last 20 years. Um, I don't, I typically don't make it a priority, but if I'm out and there happens to be one that is bright and visible, I'll, I'll take a look at it if I can. Nice. So on the 15th, uh, Pallas is actually going to reach magnitude 7.7. .7. So I feel like this could be a really interesting one to hunt down because uh, that's actually fairly bright. You might be able to to get a glimpse of it in your binoculars. Yeah, yeah, that's a super neat opportunity. Now, the only thing is it's pretty low down in the sky, so it's going to be just off the foot of Canis Major. So it's going to be it's going to be pretty low down, but that's still above our horizon, and uh, we can see stars down that low. Um, made some observations of deep sky objects down that low so it's not that low should be uh, should be easily visible but people are going to look that up in uh, their planetarium software and then uh, and then work to track that down mm -hmm. january 12th mars is stationary so this is the point shane where mars is going to begin resuming its westward motion among the stars and it's going to remain in taurus this month still high overhead and should still be putting up a great show but i think it was these sort of transitions between when mars was in retrograde motion which happens uh during the period when it's uh, near opposition and when it resumes that uh that westward motion uh that kepler was on about when he was talking about the uh, planetary uh motion laws eh mm -hmm. but it's a great time should still be a great time hopefully we get some warm weather around that period of time and we'll be able to get out and take a look at it although with the weather we've been having i'm a little bit doubtful 
Yeah, we we typically don't have the best conditions to observe this time of the year. So when we can, it's kind of a bonus and it's hard to get too excited uh, about potential observing just because we don't know if it'll be okay to observe or not. And the last quarter moon, that's going to occur on January 15th. And then January 21st, that's when we have a new moon and we'd be out observing if it is warmer than minus 20 degrees Celsius. So. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of uh, unlikely, really. Although it was warm yesterday. Yeah, yeah. It, it can really fluctuate a lot here. <laughs> so you just never know. Yeah, it was just uh, minus 21 with a wind chill. So not too bad. Mm-hmm. January 22nd. This is when we get into some of the uh, really easy to observe, but uh, really great stuff that you can take a look at this month. So on January 22nd, Venus is going to be just under half degrees south of Saturn. And that same night, uh, there's going to be, and I call this like a new moon alert, because the new moon is going to be 2% illuminated. Uh, It's around 24 hours old for Eastern North America. And for us, we get it a few hours later, but they're going to form this really interesting uh, set of things to see right in the southwestern sky as it's getting uh, dark on January 22nd. And I like these events, Shane, because even if it is... Um, very cold out. I can actually see in this direction from my top floor. Mm, very nice. <laughs> from the, the safety and security of my of my house bubble. <laughs> yes. So that's pretty close. Um, Venus and Saturn being just half a degree apart. If you're able to get out a little telescope or really any sort of telescope, most telescopes be able to take in half a degree of sky, um, even with like a medium power eyepiece or something, eh? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, that would be a great tool to use for this. So you're going to see a beautiful crescent of Venus. You're going to see the rings of Saturn, hopefully, although they're very low down, so it's going to be blurry. You're not going to see as much detail as you might when they're really high up, but they're going to be close together in the same field. And then if you um, sort of pan towards the horizon, of course, you want to do this all well after the sun is set, um, but maybe uh, even starting 20 or 30 minutes after sunset, you pan down towards that southwestern horizon and you'll be able to see a thin crescent moon. Have you ever seen any of these really thin, razor thin crescent moons before, Shane? Yeah, I have. They're super, like, they're very beautiful. Um, again, like you, uh, sometimes they're difficult to track down, but when you do, they're just gorgeous. Yeah, and so, but a 24 hour for us, I think it's gonna be more like a 28 hour moon. That's not, uh, that's not too young. No, should, no, that one's pretty doable. Shouldn't be too bad. All right, um, let's see. So that's uh, January 22nd. On January 25th, so just the next night, the moon, um, sorry, three nights later, the moon and Jupiter on January 25th, the moon and Jupiter are going to be just a few degrees apart all evening. And they get as close as 1.8 degrees um, for those east of us. But even for us, I think it's going to be a pretty good uh, binocular wide field target. Then on January 28th, we have a first quarter moon. And then January 29th, Uranus is going to appear less than a degree from the moon. And it's going to be an occultation uh, for some people that are further north, uh, maybe for uh, those of us up in Edmonton or or north of there. So that would be a pretty good one to uh, be able to see as as well. I think that occultation of Uranus. So that's the second one this month because it started the month with one of those. Wow, it's uh, it's very interesting that we have a month with you know this many uh, occultations occurring. I I don't know 
maybe I haven't really looked for them, but I don't remember one like a month uh, with this much occultation activity before. Yeah, it's quite a bit. I've seen, you know, the odd time you'll see these Uranus occultations come up, but uh, to see two in a month like this, there's been a lot of months where it's been close. So the occultations haven't been anywhere near here because you need to be um, in an area on earth that lines up with the moon and Uranus. You think, you know, well, the moon is big and Uranus is really big and far away, but you have to be just in a particular spot. Otherwise it goes just above or just below. Like for us here, we just miss it here. It gets really, really close though. So on January 29th, even if you're somebody who, uh, who isn't in the occultation path, um, if you take your telescope out and you're going to need at least a, a four inch refractor or larger to see this, you, you'll be able to see Uranus right up against the moon. So I, I think I'm definitely going to go with that night and try to take a peek. Yeah, absolutely. On the morning of January 30th, we have Mercury at its greatest elongation that will be visible, um, in the morning sky, at least for, for the coming several months. It's going to just scrape the southeastern sky. It's down in Sagittarius, so this is a morning sky target. And Mercury is a pretty tough object to take a look at, even through a telescope, eh? Yeah, you know, it's, it's always super low on the horizon because it follows the sun. And it's not... You know, it's not very big of a planet and it's not super bright either. And it's usually only available in twilight, which doesn't help. So yeah, it can be quite challenging. All right. I'm going to probably get up and try to take a peek at that one though, if it's clear. If, if we do have the right conditions and it's in the right spot, I can get it from my backyard. And I've observed quite a few of these and uh, once even saw some very dusky surface detail on, uh, on Mercury, kind of like looking at the moon at the horizon on a cloudy night with my glasses off. That's about mm. how good it is. Really appealing, eh? I'll sell it. I'll yeah, sell it. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> January 31st, Mars and the moon are less than a degree apart. So we had an occultation here on December 7th. For us, it was December 8th in, uh, in other parts of the world. But um, that was when the moon uh, passed uh, over top of Mars. Uh, this time for us here, Shane, they're less than a degree apart, so they're going to be pretty close to the nighttime sky. So for those who missed it, or maybe if it was too cold like uh, like it was here, um, maybe on that night you can get out with your binoculars and telescopes to take a look at the moon and Mars being really close together in the nighttime sky. Um, but for those in the southern U.S., and I know we have lots of listeners in the southern U.S., um, and for people in Mexico, and I know we have listeners in uh, South America, and uh, I don't know if we have any New Zealand or not, but there is going to be an occultation for those people. So uh, maybe for those folks, you missed out on the occultation back in early December. Uh, but now this is going to be either a second chance for those in the southern U.S. or for those that are south of there to uh, to take a look and see uh, the moon cover up Mars. So there's another shot. I was able to view it last month. Um, in December anyway, early December through my telescope. And when I saw Mars reappear uh, through my 60 millimeter refractor, it looked like it was drained out of all of its um, coloration. So uh, typically Mars is this brilliant reddish orange star in the nighttime sky. And even through a telescope, it has like a rusty red. It's, it's a very colorful object to see. It's a beautiful round little marble. And uh, 
I saw it go in behind the moon, and when it came back out, it appeared to be sort of um, drawn of, of most of its color. It was very monochrome, and uh, in reading some historical works, it seems like uh, other people have, have viewed this. It's simply an optical illusion. Um, vampires have yet to be proven that are of the size that could suck the uh, uh, coloration out of Mars. So, you know, we're, we're going to take another look and, uh, and see if maybe somebody out there witnesses the same sort of phenomena. Yeah, yeah, that was a very interesting observing report you had. So would certainly be interested to hear uh, what other people see. Mm-hmm. For sure. So Shane, I don't know if you uh, if you were able to uh, find any any double stars for for the coming month. Uh, I did put uh, Origa up as as our constellation here to get to in a second, but maybe we'll do uh, a few comets here first. Yeah, that sounds good. I have uh, I noted that there's there's three comets um, that are going to be relatively uh, easy to see in the nighttime sky. Good resource uh, to go and look for star charts for those, or I guess comet charts in this case, is over on skyhound.com. So if you go to Skyhound Comet Hunting or Skyhound Comets uh, in your Google search, you can find those. So the first comet is C slash 2022E3ZTF, which is a binocular comet in Serpus Caput. And that's going to be magnitude 9.1, but it's forecast to brighten. So I think this is going to be pretty close to the horizon for us because Serpent's Caput is is getting pretty low in the evening sky these nights. Yeah, for sure. The next comet is C2017 K2 Panstars, and this is a southern hemisphere comet. So we're not going to be able to see it here because it's way down in Pavo. Um, And it's going to be about eighth magnitude. So that's like a nice binocular target there. I know uh, one of our listeners in Brazil, Felipe, uh, there's a comment for you, buddy. Um, I'd be curious to see if you're able to get out and view that or maybe even take a photo. I know you, you've been able to take some photos in the past um, and that uh, hopefully at your your location, wherever you, you end up, you're going to be able to uh, be able to get out and have a view of that comet. I know he's been doing some moving around. So uh, hopefully he's able to get the telescope out of storage for that one. Yeah. C2020 V2ZTF is a small comet in Cephas, and it's shining at magnitude 10.5. So that's a nice um, comet that's going to be visible in backyard telescopes. Magnitude 10.5, though, I think you're going to want to have like those four-inch refractors or or larger to get a decent view of it. And uh, I think that's it for the comets this month. Each of these comets, though, I did note they've got uh, comets that are estimated to be around uh, three arc seconds in diameter. So people with small telescopes, if you're using um, good power, so if you get the telescope out, sometimes it can be just a challenge to find these comets because, you know, they're moving night to night. You got to get a special chart, look it up and get out there on the night sky, hunt down the field. It can be a challenge, um, but you're going to be using low power just to seek them out. Then make sure you put in some decently high power, like put in your, you know, 70, 120 power in order to be able to see if you can see some of that uh, coma detail. Yeah, that's good advice. All right, feature constellations. So this month, Shane, we're going to talk about uh, Auriga the Charioteer because Auriga is nice and high in the evening skies at the start and throughout January. Yeah, and it's quite a identifiable constellation as well. I really like Auriga. So Auriga, the charioteer, has been known from ancient times and appeared in Ptolemy's 2nd century Algamest, and, or Algamest. 
Anyway, uh, Uriga Auriga is usually shown as a man holding the reins of a chariot in his left hand and uh, and a goat with its youngs in his right hand. So we see uh, the goat as the star Capella, and then there's three stars that form a triangle um, just to the right or to the northwest of Capella, and those are often referred to as the kids. So Auriga is marked by this bright star called Capella, and uh, it's sort of this oddly shaped, kind of like a bit of a, uh, uh, just an off pentagon type shape. And uh, really shame for some reason, I don't know why, but that pattern, even though it's not quite a pentagon, it, it is very identifiable, at least to my eye. Once you see and trace out Auriga for the first time, it's like one of those guidepost constellations that you can see every night that you go out there after. Yeah, it's it's really a distinct shape, and yeah, like you say, once once you see it, it's it it just your eyes are drawn to it every time. It seems, and it's fairly close to where Mars is these nights. So if you can identify where Mars is, and then you look up and to the left of Mars, that's going to be where Riga is. You're going to want to be looking for this on a moonless night, though, because um, although Capella is a pretty bright star, some of the uh, other stars that form the main part of the constellation aren't as bright, or you might have to use your binoculars if, if your skies are reasonably bright. But there's a, there's a few good reasons to go and, and take a hunt around up in Arrigo. One of them is that the uh, the constellation borders the northern Milky Way, so this makes Arrigo one of the finest constellations for looking at through your binoculars uh, and small telescopes because it has a lot of clusters and a handful of nebulae that you can actually see pretty easily through like even a 60 millimeter telescope. Yep, that's good advice. So the three main constellations or the three main uh, star groups uh, or clusters in this constellation chain, they're going to be that M38, which I see in my software, they call the starfish cluster, although I never noticed it as that. M36, which they call the pinwheel cluster, my little finer chart here, and M37. So M38, M36, and M37. M38 and M36 are right in the middle of that pentagon and M37 is just outside of it. And uh, these are visible with binoculars under even a moderately light polluted sky, but under a dark sky, uh, you can actually see M36 and M38 uh, with the unaided eye. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, I was about to cough there. No um, under a dark sky, um, if I remember correctly, it makes finding those uh, like 36 and 38 much easier because there's if I if I can if I remember correctly there's not a lot of prominent stars in that field to star hop around and uh, finding those uh, clusters especially if you're early in your astronomy uh, hobby life uh, might be a little challenging yeah there's there's another thing here that the easiest thing to see up there which I think is is one of the best things to see through binoculars is called the leaping minnow asterism and it is just to the right on the western side of that pentagon uh, feature. So you have M38, M36, and then just to the right of those, you have this set. It kind of looks like, to me, it looks like this um, very small dipper pattern of relatively bright stars. I think they're like uh, fourth magnitude stars. So even from a decent sky, you can start to, to see some fuzz or maybe even a couple of the stars. And through binoculars, you'll be able to see this pattern. Kind of looks like a tiny squished dipper uh, just to the west of M38. 
And then with a small telescope, if you have some filters, these are a little bit more challenging. So maybe for people that have a little bit more astronomy experience, if you use some nebula filters, you can put those into your small scope and maybe try to hunt down the flaming star. And there's a couple other nebulas that are up in there as well. I think there's like NGC 1907 and uh, and a few more. But the flaming star is uh, is a fairly easy nebula to see with uh, if you have some good nebula filters. Yeah, another thing I like ab about this constellation is is the diversity of the deep sky objects within it. You know, you can see an awful lot of different categories of objects, um, uh, preferably if you're under a dark sky. And like you said, some filters may may also help uh, with these observations, but there's an awful lot to see in Auriga. Yeah. And uh, I wonder, do you ever have any favorite uh, double stars in, uh, in Auriga, Shane? No. Uh, so typically for this episode, I, I just go back to the RASC double star uh, program and just see what they have recommended for the various constellations because they highlight, you know, a lot of the, you know, prettier or brighter double stars that are out there. Uh, but in quickly going through the list, there's nothing for Auriga, but I oh. can maybe just mention one in Gemini, which is a, another prominent winter constellation, one of my favorites. Um sure. If you're looking up in uh, Gemini, uh, what I would say is one of the premier double stars up there is, um, it's the named star, and I'm probably not going to pronounce this correctly, but it's Mekbuda. Um, and it's, uh, it's a triangle. So like there's three stars actually that are a part of this system. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they form this little triangle. Um, one is uh, like a light yellow primary. Um, and then the others, I can't remember, I can't remember the colors there, but anyway, it forms a neat pattern with some color variation and, uh, that's one to give a try. Cool. Anything else to add to this episode, Jane? No, that's all. Out of all that stuff, is there anything there that sort of caught your attention that maybe you're going to put on your calendar to go take a look at? Uh, well, the occultations, if we can, uh, again, if conditions line up here, I think that'll be something I'm going to, uh, you know, see if I can observe. How about yourself? Yeah, I think the, uh, the Venus, Saturn, um, and moon in the, uh, in the evening sky there, uh, towards the end of January, because, uh, just to be able to see those, those two planets less than half a degree apart, mm -hmm. I think that'll be pretty cool to be able to see. And early in the month, I'm going to be able to try to take a, a look at Mars and see if I can pull out any of the, uh, the remaining detail that's left there before it gets too far away from us. Yeah, that's a good plan. All right. Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Please be sure to subscribe in your podcatching software to catch all eight of our shows each month. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.